Well, good morning, folks, and Happy New Year. Good to see you all. Give me a wave. So good to have you here. Pop these top lights on, guys, so people can uh, take notes. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, well, my name's Peter. If you're visiting with us, let me add my welcome to Dan's and pastor here at Destiny. And uh, we love, as a church, every week just taking time to go through the Bible and let it impact our lives and speak to us. Uh, for the start of this year, we, as you know, if you've been with us over the last few months, we've been going through John's Gospel, and we've been loving that. If you've missed anything, you can go download it all. It's available for free download online. Uh, but every, this, this week and over the next few weeks through January, we're going to do a, a quick mini-series on Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. We've called it Seek First. And uh, it's, it's, a verse, it's a series of verses that God has placed in our heart. And I really believe it is going to impact us so deeply. And it goes alongside what we're doing in small groups, the blessed life. So if you're not in a small group, you really want to get to a small group because Robert Morris's series, The Blessed Life, will, it's highly impacted my life and I know it will yours too. So uh, join with us on that journey. Uh, in a moment, we're going to be going live. We are, as Dan said, we're one church in three locations. Today, we're going to be live streaming uh, across to our Leith location. Pete Kitchen's preaching in North today. So I'm preaching here and also in Leith. So in a minute, we're going to pray, and then you can join me in welcoming the folks uh, in Leith with a big round of applause. Let, let's pray first. Father, thank you so much that today we're in your presence. Thank you. You love us, and you have a plan for us. Here we are at the beginning of a new year, and I know that as we journey into this year, we journey with God. God, I pray as we take this time in this series to study Matthew chapter 6, I pray you'd reveal yourself. Speak to us, I pray. Touch every life. You know everyone here. Meet with us, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So join me in welcoming the guys from Leith today. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Okay, so what I'm going to do just to kick things off uh, is I'm going to get three volunteers. So, Samson, thanks for volunteering so willingly. Uh, Isaiah and Alan. Let's hear it from my volunteers who so willingly volunteered. Come on up, guys. I need you up on the stage. Come real quick. Okay, so we're going to play a game. And this is a game with very high odds. Come stand here, guys. I have three five-pound notes here. You take one each. You, it's, too, too, it's easy tiger you're looking so smart Samson check you man it's amazing come a bit closer Sam. come a bit closer guys okay so here's the rules let me read the rules out to you listen very carefully to the rules you've each got a five pound note you will have 60 seconds okay and at the end of your 60 seconds you can keep the money you have But you can only keep the money if you have all three five-pound notes. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and you're not allowed to take someone else's fiver. Okay, you okay clearing the rules? Will I say them again? Yeah, okay, one more time, ready? So you each have a five-pound note. At the end of 60 seconds, you can keep the money you have. But you can only keep the money you have if you have all three five-pound notes and you're not allowed to take someone's money. 60 seconds starts now. Ten seconds. Only cut you a yeah. Do you want to stop there? Yeah. Stop. 
Well, congratulations. Isaiah is our winner. Yay! So that could have gone one of three ways. Um, two that were very selfish. That, that was one of them. Okay? And one that was very positive. Okay? It could have gone this way. They could have just stood there for 60 seconds trying to figure out the rules. Uh, what? Did, who, what? I, I can't. And, and then they end up, at the end of 60 seconds, losing everything because they didn't do anything with it. Right? Or what they could have done is they could have come up with a plan. We'll all give you the fivers. And then one, that's, that's what they did. And one person gets the fivers and goes away with 15 quids. The winner. That was the two selfish options. <laughs> the awesome, generous option was that they all gave it to one person and then that person became the winner and he gave those fivers to the other people. But no pressure, Isaiah. No pressure. <laughs> Great. Anyway, what I think about when I think about that game, it's called the trust game, is about God. God is the one who has all the fivers. And in reality, he has given of his own resources to human beings. We all have something from God in our lives. Talents, abilities, resources, time, all the things that you have, even your very heartbeat, is a gift from God. Now, if you spend your life like the bewildered player holding on to that little fiver, not knowing what you're doing, at the end of it, you will lose it. If, however, you take what God gave you and actually you give it back to God, then here's what God does. God gives it back to you in greater measure. That is how life works. That is how blessings work. And that is how God's kingdom works. So come with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in the verses. We're going to continue in the verses next week, in the next few weeks. Listen to Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. And this is Jesus telling us what he expects from his followers. Three things he expects from his followers. I want you to look for them. There's three of them. They, they start with when you. Okay, there's three when you's. Look for them in the verses. Ready? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you do not have any reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, you do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing on the synagogues or in street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close your door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily breads and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and they, to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it is not obvious to others when you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So I don't know if you saw that. There were three things Jesus expects from his disciples, from his followers. If we're a follower of Jesus, there's three things Jesus is expecting to be in our life. First thing is, it says in verse 5, when you pray. He's expecting followers of his to pray, to connect with God. There was a story way back in the end of the 18th century there was a huge church in London. It was, you could call it probably Europe's first mega church. It was the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It had 5,000 seats and room for 1,000 people standing. So they had a capacity of 6,000 people in one service. And they would have several services on any given week. Huge church down in London. The pastor there was a man called Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher. In fact, he was called the Prince of Preachers. Maybe you've read some of his sermons. He's an amazing communicator. And as a result of that church, they, they caused missions to happen all over the world. They, they trained church leaders. They ran orphanages. They made a huge impact. They shook the world. They really made a big impact. Anyway, there was five students who were visiting London, and they decided they wanted to go and, and see the famous Metropolitan Tabernacle Church and hear Charles Spurgeon preach for themselves. So they turned up early, and they were standing outside waiting to get in, and an old gentleman welcomed them and said, oh, why do, do you want to have a tour of the church before things start? And he said, yeah, we'd love that. And then this old gentleman took them around, and he asked them, would you like to see the heating plant? And they thought they didn't want to offend the guy, so they kind of said, oh yeah, that'd be great. So they followed the guy down to see the heating plant, and he opened the door very quietly, and they walked into a room with 700 people there, praying and petitioning heaven. And he said, this is our heating plant. This is what fuels the fire of our church. And they were praying and calling on God ahead of the service that was about to start. Anyways, as they, as they were leaving, he, uh, he said, by the way, my name is Charles Spurgeon. He was the, the famous pastor, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon loved praying. He said this about prayer. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. He also said in one place, he who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Prayer. The biggest church in, the U, in, in Europe way back then was a church that believed in prayer. And still today, churches that pray are churches that grow and influence. We believe in prayer. I believe in prayer. Prayer is our heartbeat. Prayer is our breath in our lungs. Prayer is how we live and move and operate and grow as a church. Church, be a praying people. And can I encourage you to, to live a life of prayer, be passionate in prayer as we go into this next year. Every week, just so you know, we have an awesome intercession team that meets here in Gorgie and also in our other two locations every Thursday. Uh, what is it, half past seven? Seven, 7.30, just up on the first floor here. Amazing people calling on God. Join them. It is, I mean, it is, our, it is our heating plant room. It really is a hothouse of prayer, passionate prayer. Don't miss it. Also, every Sunday before our morning services in all locations, we have pre-service prayer just up in the corner, um, just up in the first floor there. Why not join us prayer? But whether you come along to these or not, be a people of prayer. We believe in praying. Uh, as, a, as a church, as a, I meet with the location pastors. I have like a discipleship group, a small group for the location leaders. I meet with them every couple of weeks, me and Angie. 
And one of the things I've been talking to them about recently is using the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned. I've, I've encouraged them to use that as their pattern for praying. And you can take an entire hour over that prayer. Start with hallowed be your name. So spend time worshiping and then move on to praying your kingdom come. And you know what's interesting when you look at the Lord's Prayer, where does the bit about your needs come in? Oh, way further on in the, in the verses, right? Give us a stay our daily bread is much further on. It starts with what is God wanting and then it gets to what you're wanting. And notice, where's the bit about you getting forgiven? Really quite far on in the prayer. And that's amazing because some of you don't feel you can pray until you say, okay, God, forgive me for all the stuff I've done. Now I can pray. But you need to understand how radically gracious God is, how complete the cross is, how cleansed you are because of Jesus, that you can pray all that stuff even before you get to the bit about, oh, and by the way, would you forgive me for my sins as I also forgive those who have sinned against me? You are completely cleansed because of the blood of Jesus. That's how radical the cross is. So it's an amazing prayer. And if if you're interested in that prayer outline, I've posted it on Twitter this afternoon. You can download it. You can use it in your prayer times. I would encourage it greatly. We have intercession times. Please join in. So it starts Jesus saying, followers will pray when you pray. Verse 16 says, when you fast, say, "Uh uh-oh. Fasting goes with praying. Fasting is a way of us tuning ourselves in to seek God. Fasting isn't about like a hunger strike. God, I will not eat until you answer my prayers. And I might die, so you don't want me to die, so you need to answer my prayers. It's not about twisting God's arm up behind his back. Fasting is actually about us tuning in to God. It's about us, not about changing God. It's about changing us. But helping us tune in to God And it actually is a way of breaking through in prayer. Our church in Destiny Church that started in Gombe a couple of years ago, Ammon and Comfort, when they arrived there, they spent the first 40 days fasting as a couple. And they didn't do a total fast. They would skip breakfast and lunch, and then they would eat dinner. They did that for 40 days, praying and fasting for the church that they were about to start. Week one, they invited all their friends from the community, and they had a big crowd there week one. It was really exciting. Week two of the church... They were expecting the crowd to come back, but only one guy came back, and he was drunk, completely drunk. And they thought, this is terrible. This is like week two, the only guy who comes drunk. And so they got to know the guy, and they found out that he was burying his, his sadness because his wife was at home dying of cancer. So he was, he was drinking to try and take away the, the thought of it. And so they went with him to his house and they prayed with the wife who had cancer in her mouth. And God miraculously healed her, completely healed her. And that entire family came to faith and many of the community came to faith and that was the beginning of a church. Started with breaking through through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting takes ground. And as a church, just so you know, put this in your diaries, come 23rd, Monday the 23rd of January, we're having a week of prayer and fasting where we will call on God for the year ahead and we will just lay it all before him and ask God for all that he wants to do to be done. So join us with that 23rd of January. Put that date in your diary. When you fast. But then he said, when you give. Now, you'll notice I've skipped the order around. This is now verse two. We've gone back to the beginning. And the reason I'm doing that is because actually for the rest of the chapter, he kind of stays in this zone. So this is what Jesus camps in. So I want to camp in this just now. When you give. 
If you do a study of words in the Bible, you will find that the word believe appears 272 times. The word pray appears 371 times. The word love appears 714 times. The word give appears 2,152 times. It's obviously a priority to God, so it has to be, therefore, a priority to us. This is what, let's look again at what Jesus said about giving. He said in verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Can you imagine that, giving a gift and having a bunch of trumpeters? You know, you're a real weirdo. But apparently they did this. Uh, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. In other words, all they're getting is a little bit of accolade from human beings who are pretty shallow. That's all they're going to get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now the main point here is is that God wants you to not give to be seen by people because that's missing the point. God wants you to give out of a heart of faith towards God who sees and out of a heart of love towards the person whose need you're meeting. That's why you should give. That's why God's saying this. It's an expression of faith and an expression of love. Now, don't be legalistic when it comes to this verse. Like, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing so that when the offering basket comes around, you're like this. Or that you don't want to, for example, if you're a taxpayer, you don't want to fill in your, your name on the giving so that I don't want anyone to know what I'm giving, but then we can't claim the gift aids and make it go further, for example. So don't be legalistic about this. Jesus isn't saying that you should become paranoid and legalistic because Jesus wasn't. You know that Jesus gave a lot because it's recorded. He didn't do it all in secret. He did many things in public. He helped many needy people in public. So he's not telling you this so you can become legalistic and all worried about, oh, who saw He's making the big point. Don't worry about what people think. Do this for the sake of God and because you love other people. That's what he's saying. It's about your motive. And let me say this just straight off. You folks are a radically generous church. You are absolutely amazing. You give, I mean, you give in so many ways. You give your time. Every week, hundreds of people in this church across our three locations serve help make things happen. Even today, there are people serving our kids in the kids' ministry, people serving teas and coffees, setting out um, chairs and tidying things up and cleaning the toilets and making sure there's loo roll and handing out bulletin sheets. A huge amount of stuff happens on a Sunday. And then through the week, the amount of things we do with the poor and the needy in the city is incredibly admirable. You are a generous, awesome people. This Christmas, you gave 720 hampers. Our goal was 650 you guys gave 720. That helped 1,500 individual people. That's amazing. You're a generous bunch. You also give financially generously. In the last four months, three of those four months, we had record tithe givings, highest tithes we've ever received in those three of the four months. That was last year. That's amazing. That is radically generous. Radically generous, folks. You know, even down to the individual relationships, I was visiting a, a couple, she had been in an operation in the last week, and her small group had paid for her and her husband's 
to go out for a meal a couple of nights before the operation. Isn't that amazing? Just a small group decided we want to bless this couple. There's another couple in our church who recently moved house and their small group, you chipped in and you paid and they, they, they were in a financially hard place and the small group paid for them to get new carpets in their flat. Incredible. There was another church member just in the last couple of days told me he had been praying for a car unable to afford another car, praying for a car, and a church member came up and said, God has told me to give you this car. Give him a car. It's mental. I love how when someone falls pregnant in the church, you as a church rally rounds, provides meals. You're on a meals rota. Often provide clothes for the kids. Uh, provide, you know, you, you've, you've don't, you don't need your little buggy anymore. You pass on your buggy. You're sharing, you're caring for each other. I love it. I love how, you know, Many of the Destiny College students this year have had money given to them anonymously from church members who just want to help pay their Destiny College fees. You are an amazingly radical church. And I, I don't even know, I don't, I don't know the half of it because you don't go around announcing it with trumpets. You live this life. And I love it. And I commend you for it. And I admire you for it. You're true followers of Jesus. Give yourselves a round of applause. Really appreciate you. Amazing. Someone once said that life is not measured by its duration, but rather by its donation. What is generosity? Okay. Is, if someone steals a valuable piece of equipment from work, sells it on eBay, and gives a proportion of the money to charity, technically, is that generosity or fraud? Right, yeah. Got to be clear on that. If someone gets a bonus at work and offers part of that to the leader of a charity, but with lots of strings attached, you know, stipulating, oh, this gift has got to be used in this way at this time for this project, is that generosity or is it manipulation? Okay, you have a wealthy parent whose son isn't doing so well at high school. This parent makes a huge donation to the school. Is that generosity or strategic planning? Okay, you have a person earning a decent income, attends a Christmas service at church, feels moved by the charity that the church is giving to, gives £100 to charity. Is that generosity or easing a guilty conscience? Okay, someone's making 30 grand a year. They prayerfully and joyfully give 10% of that to their local church, to the work of the church, each month without fail. Is that generosity or obedience? So what is generosity? I'm going to give you four things that generosity is from the Bible. First of all, generosity is a reflection of God. The great calling on our lives is to be like God. That is the biggest calling you can have. That you get to be like God, your father. And the Bible says about God in James chapter 1, verse 5, and this is my experience, that God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Everything you have is from God. If God wasn't generous, you and I would have nothing. God is radically generous. You know, the enemy of generosity is selfishness. And I guess you could, just a simple way of remembering this, generosity begins with a G, so does God. Selfishness begins with an S, 
So does Satan, okay? That's a good way of remembering it. And I guess when we are born, we're born, if we're honest, we're born selfish. Life revolves around me. But when you're born again, you're born again in the likeness of your Father. He's generous. There will be within you, when you are God's, there will be within you a desire to be a blessing to others. That's how God is. That's how you will become more and more as you become like God's. He is radically generous. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Arthur Brooks is an American social scientist. Um, he published a book in 2006 entitled, Who Really Cares? And in that book, he said this, that 91% of people who identify themselves as believers in God, 91% of them give on a regular basis to charity, as opposed to 66% of people who don't believe in God. Believing in God, having some connection with God, changes you because God himself is generous and you start to become generous. And that's the number one reason why we're generous. You know, God owns everything. If you were to see heaven just now, the streets of heaven are paved in gold, the Bible says in the book of Revelation. The new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven, whatever that is and whatever it looks like, it says the foundations are precious stones. God is incredibly wealthy. So you're not going to impress him with much giving. So does our giving impress God in any way? the one who owns everything? Does God pay attention to our giving? Does God pay attention to how we are generous? And the answer is yes, he does. And it's not so much the amount. You've seen what he's got? He really isn't impressed with what we give. But he is always impressed when he sees something in your heart that is within his heart. Just like if I was to look at my kids and see my kids reflecting a value that's so close to my own heart, I'd say, wow, they've got it. That would thrill my soul if they were living with the values that were in my own heart. And that's exactly how God feels when he sees someone, no matter what the amount, living with generosity. He is seeing himself being reflected in that human being, created in his image. And he says, that's exactly what I love. And you see that right through the Bible. So what is generosity? Number one, it's generosity is a reflection of God. Number two, generosity is love in action. Say, love in action. You see, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Apparently, you can give, but without love. Amy Carmichael, the Irish missionary, said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You see, love gives. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And by the way, if you're here today and you didn't know that, that's really good news. That God, who you didn't think was interested in your life, is deeply interested in your life. And 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came into this world, that was what we celebrated at Christmas, he did it for one purpose, because he loves you. And he died on a cross. That's why he came, to die on a cross. He came as a man to die on behalf of all mankind. He died on the cross in our place as our substitute so that you could be completely forgiven and have everlasting life.
by believing in him who died for you and rose again. And I suggest, why not take that step today? Today, in this, in this service, in Leith or right here in Gorgie, why not take that step today? Put your trust, step out, really trust him with your life and you will be saved forever. I'll give you that opportunity at the end. God so loved the world that he gave. You cannot, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You see, if, if, if you are not generous, then you are not loving. That's the brutal fact of it. Generosity is love in action. Many contemporary love songs are actually lust songs. If you, if you, if you analyze the lyrics, it's like, you make me feel like a natural woman. Okay, so you make me feel. It's all about how you make me feel. And that's so much of what we consider as love. Is about, it's about the romance. It's about what you can get out of it. But actually, love isn't about getting. Love is about giving. In this world where, you know, it's a secular world we're living in, the secular agenda kind of says, well, this life is all there is. This life is all there is. And listen, if this life is all there is, then I understand. You might be someone who wants to give, and you wouldn't mind if other people noticed, because getting at least appreciation from people would at least be some reward for your life. If this life is all there is, then I get that. That's why people do that. They give so that they can be, you know, have their name on a plaque or be recognized by people. I get that. If the religious world, however, the secular world says this life is all there is, the religious world, however, says, do you know what? You need to do things to earn God's acceptance. And so as a result, in the religious world, the reason people give in the religious world uh, is, is to earn something from God. If I do these things, if I do these good things to people, or if I give this money, then God will somehow, this will somehow appease God. But that's so warped. Because when you're actually helping a poor person, you're not helping them, you're helping you. That's what you're doing. You're saying, here's some money, but you're actually saying, save me, God. That's what you're saying. That's so warped. So when someone who's religious, who doesn't understand God's radical grace, comes and helps someone, they're not doing it for them, primarily. They're doing it to earn something for themselves. But here's the great news. When you understand the radical, generous, lavish, unconditional love of God, when God saves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what he did on the cross, when you understand that that's how radical and how generous God is, then here's what it does to you. It frees you up. You don't have to earn anything. You just get to believe and accept what he did for you. And when you, and it also frees you up knowing that he sees. So all of a sudden you get to give, not caring what anyone thinks, not caring who sees, not even doing it to earn anything before God. You get to do it from a pure motive. You get to do it simply because you love that person. You get to do it just because you get to. You get to do it because, God, you're so generous. I want to be like you. You're freed up to love and give generously. Love Generosity is love in action. Number three, generosity is an expression of faith. Jesus was watching, you remember that this is a famous story in the Gospels where Jesus was at the, the temple treasury and he was watching people giving and this lady comes along and this is what it says. So everyone, well, people were giving large amounts of money in the temple treasury and this lady came along, put a tiny coin in and in Mark 12 verse 44, Jesus said, she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's a remarkable moment. Imagine you, imagine you going home and adding up everything, you know, all your savings accounts, your mortgage, whatever, everything that's in your current account, 
any money you get stashed under the pillow, right? The value of your, your car, if you sold it, whatever, right? You add it all up, and then next week you give that away. Imagine that's what you did. That's what this lady did. Literally everything, Jesus said this, he wasn't lying, everything she had to live on, she gave away. Have you ever thought about what happened next? Well, she died. You know, she starved to death. That was, I don't think so. You ever thought about what happened next for her? I don't think she was doing this in this moment, thinking, okay, I'm going to die now. I don't think she was thinking that. I think she was thinking, oh God, you're so generous. I believe, I believe even if I give all that I have, I believe you're going to completely provide my needs tomorrow and the next week and over the next decade of my life. That was her faith. This was not a morbid step of, all right, I need to die now. This was a faith step, a declaration that even if I give everything, God is able to provide everything I need. See that? That's radical generosity. There's an example of that in the Old Testament where there was a, a single parent mother and she was a widowed lady and she had nothing. And what's more, it was a time of famine. And all she had left was a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And she was planning literally her last supper with her son. And Elijah the prophet comes along and, and he told her that God had told him to stay with her. And she said, well, that's fine. We'll not be here. So you may as well stay. And he said, and furthermore, God's told me that you need to prepare me some food. That's a bit of a cruel thing to say to a lady who's only got one bit of food left for her and her son before they die in a famine. But Elijah said, this is what God says. You provide that for me and you will have everything you need. So she made um, food for Elijah. And the Bible says that the miracle was that the oil didn't run dry and the flour never run, run out. God miraculously sustained and provided because giving like that is an expression, generosity is an expression of faith in God. Now, I don't know if you noticed it when we were going through the verses. It says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. Three times it has a when you. But then also there was a three times God says, he will reward you. Let's, let's look at them. Three when yous and three will reward yous. Verse six, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That was said on the back of when you pray. So here's my question. What is God's reward for you when you pray? I think it's he answers the prayer. Do you not think so? Do you not think... God says, I will reward you. And like nothing happens when you pray. All right? Where's the reward, God? I think it's, he answers your prayer. I think that's what it is. Okay? Next one is in verse 18. Your father who is unseen, uh, and your father, sorry, your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's in the context this time of fasting. What's the, what's the reward that God's talking about? I think it's talking about the breakthrough you're praying for. I think that's what it's talking about. And then it comes to this bit and it says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's verse four. That's in the context of giving. So what's the rewards? Well, for the answer to that, you got to look at the hundreds of times throughout the Bible where the Bible talks about the reward for giving. Actually, did you know that there are more promises of God's that are triggered by your generosity than any other promise in all of Scripture. There are more promises of God in relation to generosity and giving than any other theme in life. Did you know that? In Scripture. 
So when it says he will reward you, what's it talking about? Well, let's just, before we answer that, let's just look at another verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, talking about faith. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You can read it with me. One, two, three. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When you come to God, you're not coming to, okay, I believe you exist. It's more than that. It's, I believe you exist and I believe that you are for me. I believe that your promises are true. I believe that you will do things for me and work on my behalf. You are a rewarder. So what are the promises relating to generosity? Let me just give you, I mean, there's hundreds to choose from. Let's just choose a few of them. This is one of my favorite Bible verses. Proverbs 11, verse 25. A generous person will be prosperous. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Read that with me. One, two, three. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Some people have a difficulty with the word prosperity. But then you have a difficulty with the Bible. Because the Bible uses that word on numerous occasions and in a particular context. And if we use that same word in that same context, we're being biblical. God says, if you are a generous person, you're like him, you're expressing love, you're doing it out of faith. If you're a generous person, you will prosper. That's what it says. And if you're someone who goes around refreshing others, guess what? You will be refreshed. You sow, you're going to reap. That's what the Bible's saying. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who generously scatters abroad and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want and poverty. It's amazing. You, you give away, you be a blessing, and yet you increase more and more, and yet the person who withholds what is justly due, it leads to poverty. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus speaking, he says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, they will pour into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's amazing. And how many people have stories about when they have given to God, and God has given back to them? Hands up. Amazing, amazing stories. We have testimonies of this. We have testimonies in our lives of the, the, one of the, so many to choose from. One of the ones that remind, I'm so reminded of when I think of this was our first car. We decided having, you know, we, 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 we felt it was time to get a new car, but we felt instead of trading in our first car that we were to give it away to someone. So there was someone in my heart and me and Angie agreed, let's, let's give it to that person. And we gave our first car to that person. And within that same month, we were given an envelope with a check and, and, and a card, and the card had a picture of a car on it. And on the inside, it had a check for about, I think it was eight and a half thousand pounds saying, please buy a new car. It was incredible. The same month, we gave away our first car. And I don't think the person who gave us that money had any idea that we'd given away a car. It's incredible. I remember um, my son, Michael. I mean, this, 
we were teaching our, our kids at a young age to tithe. So whenever they got their pocket money or whenever they got Christmas money or whatever, you know, give 10% to the church and then over and above that, give an offering. And we wanted to have that as a pattern that they live by. And Michael was saving up at the time for some Lego Star Wars. He was about seven or eight years old at the time. And uh, he, he had this particular set of Lego Star Wars he was saving up for. And he had an, almost enough money to get it, but he also wanted to give his tithe. And he knew that by giving his tithe, he, it meant that he wasn't able to get that Lego Star Wars set yet. But he took the step of faith. He took the step of faith, folks. And he didn't get the Lego Star Wars set. Anyway, we were, a couple of days later, we, were, we, went, we popped into this charity shop. We were up at, I think we were up at Comrie or Creef or something. We popped into this charity shop. And there was this box there, and it said five pounds. And we lifted the lid of the box. It was a box this size of Lego, full of Lego. And as we started, we thought, I mean, that's amazing just for Lego because it's quite expensive. And as we started rummaging through the Lego, we found an R2-D2. Wow. And then we found a little bit, and I thought, I reckon that's off an X-Wing. And as we started rummaging, we started realizing this had lots of Star Wars sets in it. So we said, can we have this, please? And they said, yeah. And we got this box and we set it, we poured it out into the middle. Of the, anyone had a, a Lego afternoon? <laughs> I love Lego afternoon. It was a whole day of Lego. We poured all the Lego out and we went online and found the sets. And there was about six or seven Star Wars sets. Worth, if you added it up, about £250 worth of Star Wars sets in that heap of random Lego, so it seemed. It was full of Star Wars sets. It was amazing. It was a total miracle of God. And my son was like, wow, that's amazing. You're generous. God will prosper you. I believe it. Anyone believe that? I really believe that. And, and, that's, and that goes against the grain. The world will tell you, hoard, and that's how you amass. God says, first of all, that shows where your treasure is. You're living for this life. God says, if you're living for eternity, then use your money for eternal things. And if you do, God says, I will prosper you. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 11, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Isn't that amazing? You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. That's true prosperity. True prosperity is not about what you get. True prosperity is about what you give. You are blessed to be a blessing. Say with me, I am blessed to be a blessing. Now, here's the caution. Some people see these promises, and there are dozens, if not hundreds, more promises like these where God promises as you give, He will give back to you. Some people see these as a, ah, I, so I give, then I'll get. Okay. And they give to get. That's so warped. You're really warped. That's not what it's meaning. That's acting like a slave, not like a son. You see, the way a slave would be, imagine a slave lived in a wealthy person's house and the slave thought, in order to get the wealthy person to give me money, then what I need to do is I need to do stuff and then when the person sees what I do, he will give me something back in return. That's a slave mentality. You do to get. That's like 
um, you know, do good, get good. So that's like karma. That's religion. That's nonsense. And some people read these Bible verses like, all right, if I'm generous, then God will bless me. And you end up not being generous because actually you're doing it to be blessed. And that misses the whole point. You understand the difference? However, if you were a son growing up in a wealthy household where the father is the owner of everything and you know he's the owner of everything and you know he's wealthy and generous, but in your heart you're thinking, I want to be like my dad's. And then you spend your time being a blessing. You spend your time looking out for others. You spend your time giving rather than trying to get. And you do it in faith, knowing full well, my dad's totally got my back covered. My dad is going to provide everything I need. I don't need to worry about that. In fact, I know he's going to provide me more than I need so I can continue to be a blessing. That is what we're talking about here. That's the mentality. It's a son, not a slave mentality. Awesome. And can I encourage you, church, get, if, even if you're not regularly in small group, in this next month, you want to get to small group to go through The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. It is a life-changing set of teachings. It's transformed my life. It's been used all over the world by many churches. Many people are being impacted by this teaching. Get to small group, journey through it, let it transform your life in a, such a positive way. So number one, generosity is a reflection of God. Number two, generosity is love and action. Number three, generosity is expression of faith. And finally, number four, generosity is your purpose in life. Victor Frankl was a famous Jewish psychiatrist during the time of the World War II. And he was taken into a concentration camp and he lost everything. He lost all his possessions, his family, his property. He was in the middle of working on a, on a book, which eventually was published after World War II. It was called Man's Search for Meaning. It's a very, very famous book by Viktor Frankl on the purpose of life. And he was in the middle of working on that when he was taken to the concentration camp. And he was determined, even though he had lost everything else, he was determined he did not want to lose that work. So he sewed the manuscript into the hem of his coat as he was taken into this concentration camp. But in a, there came a dreadful moment, and he records it in his book, where he talks about how at gunpoint he was refused to strip and give up all his clothes. And he, and he literally, he lost all hope. He saw him giving up this as literally him losing meaning. And in exchange, he inherited the old worn-out rags of an inmate who had been into the gas chambers. And as he walked back to his hut, dejected, he put his hand in the pocket of this worn-out coat, and there in the pocket was a piece of paper, and he pulled it out, and it was a quote from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It's a famous Jewish prayer, the Shema Yisrael, a quote from Deuteronomy. He saw that, and I'll read that quote in a second, he saw that as God giving him, he'd given up his attempt at finding purpose in life, and he got this verse instead, and he saw this, wow, that's God's version of what purpose of life is all about. Jesus, 2,000 years before that, had been asked by a man, what is the most important thing? What's it all about, Jesus? And Jesus gave the answer, and he quoted the same verse that Viktor Frankl found in the, in the pocket of his coat. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy, recorded in Mark 12. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment is greater than these. And it's utterly shocking, isn't it? It's completely shocking. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in life? Love God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's it. And it's shocking. And here's why it's shocking. Because it doesn't mention you in there anywhere. 
It doesn't mention you. It doesn't mention you anywhere. And yet that's what the world is saying. The world is saying, you want purpose in life? Live for yourself. Do stuff for you. Fulfill yourself. That goes completely against the way God has wired you. That's why everyone's so miserable and have everything. God's wired you to live for him and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's, that's the purpose. Generosity is fulfilling your purpose in life. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Say amen. amen. For some of you, you need to hear that. But work, get a job. Do something useful with your own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. That's quite revolutionary, really. We hear people in our society talking about you need to work for a living. But here the Bible's saying you need to work for a giving. Okay? He's saying don't work for a living, go work for a giving. Go earn some money and then some more so you've got something to share with someone else who's in need. Don't just earn enough for yourself, go and prosper so that you have an abundance for every good work, as it says in Corinthians. Go and live a generous life, and the Bible says the generous will be prosperous. Why? Because God can trust them with it, because he knows they're generous, and they're probably going to give it away again anyway. Don't be a swamp where stuff flows in. Be a river where things flow in and flow out. See, God can get money to you, but God can, can God get money through you? God wants you to be like a river where he provides for you and you provide for others, being like your father, and you're living in this, this constant flow of generosity and prosperity and glorifying God with your life. Life is not about you. Life is not about me. Life is about Jesus Christ, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we live for him, as we live for the benefit of others, we're enriched in every way. So I encourage us, as we turn this new year, First of all, first of all, receive this generous God into your life. I don't know how you viewed God. Maybe you viewed him as Scottish, stingy, holding back against you. Well, change your view of God. Because a God who's like that wouldn't send his son into this world to die in your place out of love. But God has done that. God is more generous than you ever imagined. He's wealthier than you ever imagined, and he's more generous than you ever imagined, and he loves you for who you are, and he died for you on the cross and rose again, and he wants to save your soul today. Today, so I'm asking you today, right now, would you open your life and trust in him to be your savior? Trust in this generous God. And then the second thing I'm encouraging us as a church as we turn this year is this. Church, you are a generous people. But I want to encourage us as we turn this year and we go into this adventure ahead Let's be, even, let's be known for radical generosity. Generosity to each other. Generosity to your neighbors in the city. Generosity to the church, so the church can continue to be generous in what it does. Radical in how we live, reflecting the heart of the Father, a generous Father, to a world that is so desperate for a generous God like that. They will see him in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you for everyone that's here today, and you know each one. You have a distinct and unique plan for every person here. And Lord, I believe that you are a generous God. You're not a God who is stingy or holding back. You're a God who loves and who loves to give and who provides. If you weren't generous, literally, we would have nothing in this life. 
I pray, God, teach us to be like you. First of all, teach us to know you, and then teach us to be like you. I pray we will be like you, generous givers. We will have the joy that you have of giving, that that will be our joy. That's how we would live. I pray that in Jesus' name. God, I pray for anyone here today, Lord God, who is distant from you. My prayer, God, is that in these moments, they would draw close to you that they would find you to be their God. I pray you would reveal yourself in a way that only you can. Show them your love. Show them your goodness. In Jesus' name. Okay, each one of you in his presence. Don't, Don't rush this moment. Just as the musicians play, just fix your heart on him. Maybe reflect on some of the things you've heard about him. And I want you to pray. Today, if you are far from God, maybe, maybe in the past you used to kind of believe and follow God, but maybe for whatever reason you've walked away and you've done your own thing. Well, today God is calling you back into a relationship with him. Don't resist him. Come to him. Maybe today you're just saying, Peter, today I want to put my faith in this God. I want to trust in Jesus who died for me on the cross and rose again. That would be the greatest thing you could ever do. If that's you today, I want to help you do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you just repeat this prayer after me one line at a time. This is your opportunity, your moment to trust in him, to commit your life to him. So that's you pray with me just now under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your great love for me. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world and ultimately for dying on the cross and rising again so that I could be forgiven, so I could have a new life. Today, I place my trust in you. I ask for forgiveness for all my sins and I ask for a whole new start in my life. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I believe you're alive right now. Be my Savior. From this day forward, I'm yours, God. I trust you. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you, just wherever you are. If you prayed that prayer, can you just let me know you prayed that prayer so I can pray for you? just by you raising your hand just while everyone else is praying if you're here and you prayed that prayer thank you raise your hand nice and clear so I can see it nice and high is there anyone else thank you thank you thank you is there anyone else thank you thank you in the balcony there so if you could just those folks who raised their hands raise your hands again just so I can see all your hands and I want to just pray for you while your hands are raised Keep your hands up nice and clear. Jesus, I pray for these two in the balcony, these three in the cafe, and this one on the main floor. God, you know these precious people. Today, the third one in the balcony as well, Lord, I pray you know all these people. You know their lives. Today, they're trusting Jesus. They're trusting in you to be their savior. I pray this, Lord God, will be the beginning of a new life for them. Let them know your love deep in their hearts. Change them from the inside out and encourage them in their faith. Let this be the beginning of a new journey with God. Fill them with your love and your power in this moment. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hands down. Before you go, one of our, Mandy and Isaiah, can you guys uh, maybe get some other leaders just to pray with some people? Someone on the balcony as well, is that okay? Uh, If we can have some uh, people just to pray with the people who put their hands up. And we're going to give you a Bible if you haven't already got one. Uh, And we're going to pray with you again and help you get connected with the church. So don't rush off. For the rest of us, church, let's make our response to God just in his presence. Don't just hear something. Put things in place. So today, Jesus says, when you give. And so just in your heart before God, make a response to say, God, I'm going to be a generous giver. I'm not going to let money rule me. I'm going to rule money. I'm going to use it for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. I'm going to be a generous person, not just with my money, but with my time, with my talent, my ability, with my encouragement, with the way I treat people, with the way I look at people. I want to be a generous person like you, God. Make that decision.